Hey, howdy. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Tyler Robinson. Thanks for joining me as we talk with folks from all walks of life, students, other teachers, my family, my friends. We delve into what it means to be human. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to bring to you part two of three parts from my conversation with Mitchell Lira. So we talk about um, post-Chamawa, um, his time in the military, uh, native journalism, and some other topics that I think are really relevant to today's conversation. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've been heartened by the progress, um, at least in the conversation I've seen concerning race and um, systematic injustice, uh, racism in our country. I think there's a lot left to do. Um, a lot of people have said it, um, and I echo their sentiments that um, it's one thing to talk about changing, and it's another thing to uh, put actions into words um, to make change. Um, so one of the things I've committed to doing, uh, my wife and I, uh, we found a handful of black-led um, nonprofit organizations that are working for um, justice, uh, working for um, equality for people, and we've decided to make monthly contributions to those. Um, one of them is called the AND campaign. Um, it's looking at how uh, Christians can be both biblically sound and advocates for justice. Um, they do a lot of work in a lot of the major urban cities um, promoting um, justice and equality for black people. So that's just one thing we're excited about. Um, another thing I'm really excited about is just uh, continuing this conversation that I'm having with my native students about race. Um, and I think it'll really guide some of the future conversations that I get to have with my students. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope you enjoy this episode two of my conversation with Charleston and um, you'll tune back in for part three. So uh, you graduated from Chamawa after uh, three years there, and um, talk about what what your journey has been like since then, because that's kind of like a, a whole nother chapter in your life. It's been hard. It's been like I think I arrived at college, and it's been one of the I think the hardest things I've done in my life. Like I thought my life was hard to begin with, and it was. Like, I think a lot of I think it was hard in a different way, in a new way for me. It was challenging. And, and um, just other ways, like it wasn't as traumatic. Obviously, I think like growing up, it was very hard. Like there were a lot of experiences I had and going out of foster care, like seeing drugs, seeing violence, like that's different. But I think when I got to college, it was just like, you know, I really had to be an adult. You know, I had to like figure out how I was going to pay my rent, like how I was going to buy food, like where I was going to live, like how I was going to get from point A to point B, like just a lot of adulting things. And I think I, not that I wasn't ready for them. I think I just wish I would have had more insight on some of these things like in high school, because sure. I think that's one of the things high school, the, the school lacks is teaching kids, you know, how to budget, how to like file your taxes. How Those to, really I think just simple tasks, practical like, skills. Yeah. Cause yeah, if I had that, I think I would have I talked like to Mark about that as well. He had the same kind of feedback. Yeah. I think that was hard, but I think I figured it out. I wasn't terrible at it. I wasn't bad at like, doing it because i mean like uh i just wish i would have more insight but i think yeah it was tough it was i think um 
it was kind of when I really started to learn about myself and how to grow because I was put in a whole new environment with people I did not know, which I did at Chamala, but this was on a more extreme level because no one, not what only wasn't people I didn't know, but a lot of them weren't like me in terms of like, they weren't, they weren't from where I was from and like their experiences were drastically different. Like majority of Yuba was white. And so like, I just kind of at first felt like I didn't belong, you know, because I didn't want to listen to the music they listened to. I didn't get their movie references. I didn't like read the things they read. Like it was just like night and day, they were different people. And it was kind of hard to be like, how do I relate with these kids outside of sports? Because that was like the one thing everyone has in common. Anyone can watch a basketball game, you know? And like, that's universal. Like, or watch a football game like those kind of things were very uh, you know mutual but it was just kind of like how do i find things outside of that it was hard i think initially because i didn't really find a lot of friends right away my and, and i wasn't really drinking you know or doing that scene like you know r- right away like i was kind of like no i want to focus on school and be committed to that and i think i just i kind of just stayed in my own zone and that was kind of like I got involved in the community, like with a lot of people, and I did a lot of things. And I think even there, it's just like, I think academia is a really weird place. I think and it kind of is, it's another monster. It's a whole nother world. It's a whole nother world inside like this world. And it's just, I don't know how to really, that, that, that's it in a nutshell. I think it's like, it is really, like, a lot of my friends, like, they go into college and mentally they come out even, they come out worse than they were when they started. And it's just really crazy because it's just so much mentally. It's so hard on me mentally. It's a mental grind yeah. like for four years. And if you go on to that, it's even more after that. And I think you think being native is hard. It's, it's really hard in a lot of like political ways when you get to college. I feel like when you get to the city, it's just different. It's a different You feel like there's atmosphere. still a lack of maybe just understanding or yeah. – um, not necessarily like accommodations, but even just simple like recognition of yeah other culture. Yeah, it's it's hard. I think it's hard because you have to really kind of you kind of are trying to validate your existence to people, yeah. and it's just that's like the constant cycle that you have to do, and it's just kind of it's draining, and then you kind of have to be. A kind of sometimes people exp- like they hear you're native and they want want you to be a speaker for all native people and they want to like want you to answer all these questions and also they are sometimes they're very ignorant and I don't think they intend to be what they are and they don't understand that yeah. and I think it's like come on yo you know and I think like you know you're asking for my time like I think one of the things I've learned is like but like I think the flip side of this is I've learned a lot of things from a lot of Goddamn brilliant people at U of Native professors, like they are some of the smartest minds I've met in my life, you know. And they, I think one of the things they've always they always ask people when they when people that are non Native come to them is, what research have you done before you come to me? Like what things have you take? Like what time have you taken to go and research the questions you want, the information that you want to know about from me? Sure. You know, because their time is valuable, you know, and they're spending they're subject matter experts in the things they're studying. Yes, you want to go to that person, but also have you read the things they've published? Are you familiar with their texts, the books, the academic journals they reviewed, like the books they published? Like, I think I don't know. So I think that's that. That goes to anybody though. Even even though I'm not a published author, like, or like anything like that, it's like still, so what have you done to research the things you're going to ask me? I think is the things I kind of 
it's kind of where I tell people is because they always want to ask me questions and ask me about where I'm from. And because it's really weird because when you go to Uvo, and I think maybe any other, me, me, I, I think my experience with Uvo is when people know you're native, they want to interview you for all of these things. Like they just want to make their journals and pro- projects about you. And you feel really like you're weird. kind of uh, a unicorn. You're like a token, really, you know, because people know that it's like a diverse project you're doing and that's like how it's viewed and i think a lot of times it's it's shallow people don't care about what about about you they just kind of are like using you to get an a in their class and that's very apparent a lot of times and so i've like i've i've realized that and seen through that a lot of people are phony because the other thing is too is like when people in the journalism world i think the reason why i got into the journalism world is because of that reason is a lot of people come that are not native and they just want to come and exploit native people in their stories and then leave and i'm just kind of like you haven't if you're going to come and look at people and get to know them especially native people you have an obligation to build a relationship with people and i think also the ways in which we we i don't know i think it's like the ways in which we talk about the way in which we the western world is viewed like those ideas that we use it's not a good framework to understand other cultures and people and i think that's the problem a lot of times is you cannot do journalism through a white perspective. It's just very, with, with Native people, it's just very hard because I think one of the things I've learned is a lot of people, the timelines, the timeline, that's idea of time, it, the social construct of time is hard to translate in Native communities because when you're working with people in Native communities, they don't think of it that way. They think of, you know, it goes at a pace they feel is good to them. And you cannot rush that. And I think that's something that, you know, and with non-Native journalists, they just want, they have a deadline. And so there's just things like that, like they don't correlate. They're not like, we don't think of them the same, like, and so it's hard, but they don't want to understand that. And so I think, I don't know, that's always been frustrating for me. And yeah. Yeah. I think one of the uh, biggest pieces of ignorance that I had when I started working at Chamel was just how diverse um, Indian country is within itself. You know, because yeah. I think I had a handful of movie references, and that's pretty much all I was working with when I yeah. started there. It was like, you know, there's the Apaches down south, there's the Dakotas in the north, and, you know, locally we have these uh, Warm Springs kids and the the Siletz kids and the, um, you know, the Spirit Mountain kids. I didn't even know the name of their tribe. So it yeah. was like just my my ignorance um to the diversity within i think was was something that i mean you're right you you just want to lump any native person you in to speak for that whole community and even within communities people are going to have different experiences yeah Um, and i think there is that kind of mentality of um you just want the kind of the easy narrative to piece piece together your your pro for me like from my experience like i because I want to do my job really well, so I want to take the most efficient route of understanding. So I'm just going to try and take, you know, like, oh, all Apache kids are this way. Oh, all Menominee yeah. kids are this way. You know, all Hoopa kids are this way. And really, you yeah. just have to, it's, like you said, it's mentally exhausting because you have to constantly be refining that that framework and that approach to understanding kids. And what I'm finding now to add more difficulty to the task of uh, educating these native youth is just how technology and just all the social things that are happening now that weren't even happening when you were in school um, have just complicated um, 
complicated the approach. Um, yeah. But I think that's interesting to talk about the construct of time. I think that's one thing that I've also had to learn um, just from an academic standpoint of like, we're going to go at the pace that the class says is a good pace and not what I yeah. have in my calendar of like, we need to get yeah, through X, exactly. Y, and Z material. And uh, I think that I've given myself a lot more flexibility and leeway in that. But early yeah. in my teaching career, I was like, gosh, dang it. Why can we not just move on to the next thing? Yeah, it's, I think, yes, I think the thing, like, I think one of the books I would recommend is called uh, Decolonial Methodologies. And so they talk about, there's a lot of good things. I'll have to share some things with you if you're interested. Um, from a lot, because there's a lot of good professors that talk about, so Yuvo has a, a, a um, what's called Subsequoshua. It's a, 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 a graduate program that um, is for Native people and they help, they pretty much pay for you to be a student, uh, be a teacher, uh, be a teacher. They right. pay for all of your schooling. But anyways, there's a lot of faculty that have, man, there's some smart people there. Like I'm telling you, they're, and they're all women. They're all like really freaking smart women, like all Native women. And they have wit, um, wrote a lot of great um, academic knowledge and published books on kind of like teaching in Indian country, essentially, like decolonial ideas about teaching. And, under, and like, and so it's just, I've kind of learned a lot about that. And I kind of had to think about that in terms of like, I don't know, I think it's just kind of validated my experiences. But like, I think it's really, it's just one thing about colleges that I, I've like, I know I've had like, I had to have things in my mind where I'm, I feel like I, I, I don't know how to say this, but I feel this. And then I read some of this work that I've read from these people. And I'm like, this is what I'm like, you know, I'm like, this makes sense. Like I was saying, like, I feel like it is rushed or there are things that they, I don't know how to, art- I didn't know how to articulate at the time of being a, like a 15 year old kid. Like I didn't have that knowledge, but I knew something was off. I knew something felt different. And I was like, I didn't know how to, to say that though. And I was like, and I got to college and I was like, okay, like, but yeah, they, they, they write a lot of good things. And that's like one of the things they talk about is like, um, so I started taking my native language at UVO and the, the, the elder that we work with is she just turned 96. And so she's the oldest woman from her name is uh, Virginia Beaver and her Indian name is Tecumseh. And so she is the oldest woman from uh, oldest woman in UVO history to get her PhD. Um, oh, wow. I think she got like at 90 or something. So that's she got impressive. like six years ago and you see her and she, you don't think she's, she's, uh, she's 96 cause she moves very, she's still very agile and can move and do things. And, um, but that's one of the things I've learned a lot from her also just about teaching. Um, and that was one of the things she always talked about is, especially the class, it wasn't run like a normal college class. It was kind of run out of, like at her own pace. And like, she was kind of like, I don't, and the thing is, is she didn't agree in, with testing. She was like, I don't, I don't agree with that because it's like, if you're forcing a student to, to learn something and memorize something, they're only going to do it for that reason. And if you, if, if they care about it, they're going to do it. And she just kind of found out that that methodology just is way more, it just, it just yielded a higher level of like, I think proficiency from her students. Yeah. Whereas like putting the pressure on them and saying, okay, you have to know all this stuff for this test. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and it just like she, and it just, the test scores were different when you had, when she was, when versus like saying, I'm using this, I'm using a test. Like you have to get 7% off of, you know? And I think, cause it's not, pen, it's not punitive. There's nothing that, you know, cause if you're trying and you're, you're doing what you can. Like, that's, what's important here. You know, we're, we're, and I think, I don't know. I think people don't like that mindset. I think it's something that people are like, well, not everyone should get a participation medal. Like that's what they think, but it's like, no, I think it really makes sense. If someone wants to learn something, 
they're going to do it. If they don't want to learn it, then they're not going to learn it. Like, like, I don't know. And so it's yeah. like, there's, there's no other way. I, I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. They have some, some smart people at Uvo and that's what the one thing I've been fortunate and like very happy about is they've just been able to pick brains and people that are just, you know, on a whole other level and just, yeah. I don't know, really smart people. So you went to school for a year and then enlisted in National Guard. What was the timeline on that? Oh, so I, I did it right before. So I knew I was admitted into the UVO. So it was like, it was like, uh, I think my Did senior, you take a gap year or did you go right in? I can't remember. No, I went right in. So it was okay. like the senior, yeah. it was like this, like the summer of like my senior year. Yeah. Pretty much. So like I, uh, we graduated and I enlisted. And then, like, I was like, all right, so I still got to go to school. And they were like, well, you go to basic training, and then you come back and you go to school. And so I was like, oh, all right. So I went to I went to basic training from August to, like, February or something. And then I started – or January? I don't know. I started the winter term yeah. of that school year. So I missed fall term. And then, yeah, I went that right was into 2016, school. 2016, right? And, yeah, it must have been 2016. So you graduated yeah, 2016. in 2015? Yeah. And so you've been uh, – yeah. uh, How does that – how has that uh, worked with your enlistment? So have you been able to just keep up on a traditional schedule or how's that, uh, that credit yeah, game working for you? Yeah. I mean, obviously so, you've been deployed yeah. for a while now, so that's throwing yeah, you off so a I little bit. I haven't taken, yeah, I haven't taken any classes this year, just this school year or even last, well, I mean last school, this last school year because of, I just didn't want to, I didn't know what my time, my schedule was going to look like. And so I didn't do anything. I just deferred and said, I'm not going to be in school. But I think the past you know years I've been in school, um, it doesn't really impact it because it only really, really impacts my summer school if I want to take summer school because that's like the bulk of when I have to train is in the summer. Yeah. But like when I, during the regular years of the regular months of the year, I can turn like um, pretty much just the fall. So from like fall to spring, it's, it's fine. I don't, it doesn't really impact my, on my schooling very much at all very minimal and so it doesn't really impact it yeah anything like anything that would stop me from going to school or taking no more credits that's great so are you planning on um so you'll be hopefully home here in about a month is that what you said yeah sometime yeah i can't say when exactly but yes <laughs> sometime classified yeah sometimes yeah kind of kind of it's like yeah but sometime soon Good. um yeah sometime in the next coming months i should be home and yeah it's yeah I'm excited. Has your uh, deployment been impacted by all this uh, pandemic stuff that's going on? In some regard, they, they kind of like have changed. They kind of they're making us wear masks. They're making us like social distance. Like it's going to stop some of the training we've been doing with people we've been working here with and like the local forces and stuff. So yeah, in some regard, it's it's kind of altered our training plan and our mission set here. And um, but yeah, the military. I mean, yeah, it's. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of altered it in some regard, but not entirely. So, what's your plan um, when you get home? What's your what's your next steps? I am just gonna um, go home and just kind of be around family, just kind of go back to the uh, the girls and just hang out, um, and just yeah, I think just enjoy freedom. I think this is this is deployment really. I think this time is really. time away kind of really makes you really i think it's gonna really really gonna make me enjoy the simple things of just being able to like uh, 
do what I want, like wake up when I want, like um, be able to get in the car and just drive anywhere when I want, like and not have to, because like, it's very, the military is very structured. Like they, they tell you what to do. They tell you where to be. They, you know, everything is structured. Like everything mm-hmm. in your, your every day, you have to be somewhere, do something at this time, or you have to be in this uniform. Or, you know, it's like, there's no, like, there's no choice. It's not a democracy here. There's no voting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's, yeah it's a little bit different lifestyle. It's a different culture. And I don't know. I think it wears on you after a while. Some people really enjoy it. And I think I kind of, um, I think it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to be a part of because I think one of the things that I really, um, that kind of makes me irate sometimes is people I work with sometimes it's really hard because it's like the structure here in the military is that if someone has a higher rank than you, no matter how you feel towards that person, you ultimately have to respect them. No matter what, and I think I don't think that's wrong, but I just sometimes it's just kind of when you're lower, when you're lower on that rank structure, you don't have a lot of room to say anything to that person, and they can really control and say a lot. Control your, they control your life, and they say can say whatever they want to you, really, and do whatever they want to some regard, obviously. And I think that's hard because because when you talk about civilian life, you know, respect is like earned. You know, it's given to. You know, it's like one. It's, it goes hand in hand. It's not just. You meet someone and you're expected to respect them. And I think that's the hard part about being in the military is you have to respect a lot of people that you necessarily don't like or get along with or, you know, it's it's just tough. And I think that's kind of, um, I think a big reason why I'm wanting to get out is this, it's just a, a culture different, a culture difference for me that I don't necessarily enjoy a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, there's but not, I met a lot of good people. Not a lot of room to dialogue about that uh, power structure in the military. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, Hey, but it works, you know, it works. It gets the job done. You know, that's the thing is like, that's what they see and that's what they want. And so it doesn't really matter that I have a problem with that, you know, like I'm just a number, you know, I'm just another, another number in in this, in this pool of numbers, you know? And Mm. so that's, yeah, they can care less what I have to say. (laughs) Um, what's your so you'll spend some time at home and then you're gonna head back to school and finish up uh yeah. journalism yeah i plan on to yeah i plan on finishing yeah i don't know what schools will look like because they're talking about doing like uh they're talking about opening the university which is kind of sketch i don't know that i necessarily want to go to classes like i i don't know i don't know that how i feel about that and so i don't know i just am interested to see what his life is like i'm kind of like not like I don't even know how to feel about it because I don't like, I've been on the outside of this looking in the whole time. Like I haven't been a part of any of this, you know? And so it's like, I've been fortunate enough to have a job and have a roof in my head and have, you know, food on the table. So those are things I can like be thankful for, you know, because not everyone has, you know, has that. Yeah. I've been tracking a lot of uh, news outlets in Indian country just to kind of keep a pulse on how this is affecting a lot of the different tribes. Um, I know there's a big yeah. lawsuit brewing in South Dakota right now because the governor of South Dakota is trying to uh, stop the uh, Sioux tribe, Ogallala, Rosebud, Standing Rock. They're all um, got checkpoints for the virus on the yeah. reservation. Yeah. And yeah. there's, you know, that big uh, debate over tribal sovereignty. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. But it's just so hard when you have these uh, reservations that are already, you know, poverty, access to health care, uh, pre-existing conditions that are all yeah. at risk factors. At risk yeah, and then you're not allowing yeah. 
these cultures to protect their elders really in a way that they see fit i think that's that's really hard yeah it's hard i think it's i think that is i mean this is the battle that i think um indian country has been facing for a long time and i think it's just it's always it, it's always been an uphill battle you know i think it's tough and yeah i don't know it's just one of those things that i don't know it's just always going to be hard i feel like it's i just want to email that thing for day three i did okay all right um yeah i don't know i think it's one of those things yeah it's just always gonna be tough i think the battle of we just have a government that doesn't really respect or i think really value travel sovereignty and understand that we are you know we have the ability to act and to do what we want because ultimately we don't follow we don't follow federal law i mean state law we follow federal law we our sovereign nations within a within a state, yeah. and so state law does not does not apply to us. We decide if we want to follow that. You know, ultimately, we have the ability to nullify state laws. You know, and so that's like the thing is like the government doesn't really have the ability to decide that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if we're really if we're really looking at what the legal text really says here, because we have an agreement with the federal government, not with states. You know, right. and so I think that's like that's like the tricky thing here is like. We're just, it's, I, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's just really confusing to me because we really have, we have agreements and we have things on paper and it's just kind of as, as if those things don't exist. Some people, you know, like to this government and to these, these institutions, you know, it's just like, it's like, come on, you know, like you sign this paper, like your, like your people sign this paper. We agreed to something here, you know? And I don't know. It's just really hard. But yeah, so I finally go back to school when I get back and finishing and yeah, I just don't know what it looks like. Um, I don't know what fall term looks like. I, I can't register for anything yet. Sure. We don't have any class get class because they're trying. The UO really wants to open back up, but a lot of people don't feel good about it. A lot of the like I talked to some of my professors and they kind of like, you know, think it's a good idea. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I it's a hard like, spot to be in because I mean, obviously, the, the school wants to make money. Um, yeah, stay open to be able thing. to provide services for folks that are trying to graduate, you know, and but, but it's just yeah. hard. But I think ultimately our country is going to put money in front of people's health and safety as we. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. Typically yeah, it's do, pretty sad. Unfortunately, it's pretty sad. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Um, but I think there's a lot of areas like uh, down where my grandparents live in Lakeview in Lake County. They've done, you know hundred tests for the virus and have had zero confirmed cases. So yeah. there is like that where it's like those rural communities that don't have any cases. It's like, well, there's really not a whole lot of good reason to have everyone still, you know, quarantined and locked down, but yeah. at the same time, just being smart about it. Well, that concludes my conversation with uh, Charleston for this episode. Again, I hope you'll tune back in for part three of the conversation which will be dropping later this week if you want to keep up with the podcast feel free to subscribe on anchor podcasts or spotify podcasts also on the interwebs mrrobison.weebly.com m-r-r-o-b-i-s-o-n dot weebly.com or feel free to shoot us an email, theheyhowdypod at gmail.com. Our theme music was recorded by Robert James and Kyrell Moose.
We look forward to seeing you later on down the trail. Bye. Hey, oh, 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 hey, oh